Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 tonight as we return to our series, Excavating Ephesians. Now in Ephesians chapter 6, as we've been doing so far, let's read verses 10 through 18. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now we've already covered a lot of ground in this section of Scripture. In fact, we've been here for three months. There's no way I could take time to recap all that we have studied thus far. If you missed any of the messages, would you please get those online and get caught up? It'll be a help to you. Now we are charged here to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might because our strength will fail us. We don't need our strength. We need His strength. In fact, we have no strength for the spiritual warfare in of ourselves. It's a spiritual battle and we need God's strength to help us through. We need His strength for when we are weak, He is strong. What a blessing. Paul said that in my weakness, His strength is made perfect. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Think about that. It was in his weakness that he says, the power of Christ is upon me. So we don't need our strength. We need the strength of the Lord. And we're also charged to put on the whole armor of God. We need the whole armor of God every day. There is no time off for spiritual warfare. There is no leave you can submit. You have to have God's armor upon you because the life that we live, it goes beyond what we can see with physical eyes, what we can touch and what we can see. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual warfare. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness. And given the amount of times here that we're told to stand, we can conclude that the goal of the enemy is to cause us to fall. And the tactic our enemy uses is called the wiles of the devil. That's his schemes, his trickery, his devices, his craftiness. He seeks to deceive us. And because Satan roams around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, we need to put on the whole armor of God Because the enemy is looking for an opportunity to take advantage of you. The enemy is looking to exploit any weakness that we allow him to get a hold of. He's looking for a crack in your armor so that he can get a toehold and then a foothold and then break through. We need every piece because when we don't, we are opening up a vulnerability to be attacked. 
Now, we've seen so far the need for our loins to be girt about with truth. We need the truth of God to protect us at our core. We've seen the need to have on the breastplate of righteousness. And again, this is not our righteousness. But it is the righteousness of Christ that we get when we come to Him for salvation. And we considered how righteous living protects us. Don't have time to recap all that. The last piece of armor we studied was having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we need the peace of God as we are in this warfare. We need the peace that Christ made through the blood of His cross. We need the peace of knowing that God is there no matter what. And if He would die for us, He's there for us. And we need the peace that passes all understanding. Without this peace, you will drop out of the battle when tribulation arises. Now, that was three months worth condensed into a few minutes. Please take the time to listen to those if you missed them. For tonight, let's look at the next piece of armor, which is found in verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. We find here the need to take up the shield of faith. And at the beginning of this verse, we read, above all. And what does this mean, above all? Does this mean that the shield of faith is the most critical piece of the armor of God? While some say that that's what this means, and while I understand their reasoning, I do not think this is the primary meaning of what's being said here. First of all, we are told to put on the whole armor of God, therefore every piece is critical. If the shield of faith was the most important, then we might read, but whatever you do, take up the shield of faith. But that's not how it's worded. Second, there are pieces of armor listed after the shield of faith. There is still the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and prayer. So it would seem strange to me to say, most importantly, take the shield of faith and then go on to list three more items. It would be a more natural flow, in my opinion, to mention this first or last, not right in the middle. In addition, the armor of God is so interwoven that I don't think the intent is to pull one item off of the shelf and say, this is the most important piece. To be sure, faith is important. Amen. But can we say it is more important than truth? Without truth, what are we having faith in? And without faith, how can we have the helmet of salvation? So we can see how all of this ties together to make a complete armor of God. Now I believe the meaning of above all is telling us that after the aforementioned pieces of armor, we need to have a shield covering it all. Understand this shield was four and a half feet tall by two and a half feet wide. That's huge. (laughs) We'll talk more about that next week. With this shield resting at our feet, it would cover the core and the chest. Our head would be sticking, unless you're Jesse Reeser, amen. Um, <laughs> love you, sis. Therefore, above all these three pieces of armor just mentioned, take up the shield of faith. The shield would be like an umbrella above all the body's armor, so to speak. It would cover all that which has been mentioned. It would be above all of that. Does that make sense what I'm saying? 
Overall, over all of that we've covered so far, you need a shield over you. This makes sense when we think of the pieces of armor that are mentioned after this. We hear of the helmet of salvation. Your head would typically be above the shield, uh, except during intense battle or something like that. And the sword would certainly be something you wouldn't use behind the shield. (laughs) It's good to be back. Amen. Prayer is not limited to a physical location. At least not in a physical sense, right? I mean, we can pray anywhere. So I believe this language is simply adding to the armor pieces which cover the body, not saying that this one is the most vital or the most important. Covering the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the shoes of, shoes of peace is the shield of faith. And while the pieces mentioned previously are secured in place, the shield can be turned about as necessary, depending on the battle conditions. Now, there's much to cover when we talk about the shield of faith. And I'm not sure how this is going to turn out yet, but I'll give you what I have for tonight, of course. We'll begin by addressing what kind of faith is being addressed here. Take up the shield of faith. What kind of faith are we to take up? Keep in mind, Paul is addressing believers in Ephesus. He's not calling them to take up faith in themselves. He's not calling them to take up faith in faith itself. But already in this epistle, we have read that there is one faith. And in chapter 1, in verse 15, he wrote, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. The faith we are to take up is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. We read in chapter 3 and in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Faith is who we place our belief and our trust in. We do not believe in Christ because we have seen Him physically. We've never seen Him upon this earth. That would not require faith. It would not require faith to believe that He lived. It still would require faith to believe He was the Christ. So don't misunderstand me. But we believe like Moses, who by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him which is invisible. That's in Hebrews 12, 7, or eleven twenty seven. Thomas did not believe in the resurrected Lord until he saw him with his physical eyes. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas... Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. We're in that group. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though now ye see him not, yet believing. Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. We believe by faith. The hymn writer said, My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. 
I don't know where you're at tonight, but my faith has been placed in Christ alone. Now, where does this faith come from? In Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 13, Paul wrote, "In, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. When did they trust in Christ? It was after they heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation. And after they had believed or after they had placed their faith in Christ, they were then sealed with the Holy Spirit. We see then that before there is trust in Christ, before believing in Christ, there is the presentation of the word of truth, at least in some degree. Amen. Even in those who look upon creation. The Bible says that the heaven declares the glory of God. And the earth showeth his handiwork. But it says that it speaks a language that all can hear. The word's being preached even through creation. So where does faith come from? Well, according to what I just mentioned and according to Romans 10, 17, it comes from hearing the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And this is why Christ and the Bible are at the very center of what Liberty Baptist Tabernacle is all about. This isn't about the Book of Mormon. We do not need another testament of Christ. This is not about the New World Translation of the Jehovah's Witness. We don't need a new Bible. This isn't about the catechisms of the Catholic Church. We don't need to know what the popes have said. Come on now. But what we do, the reason for what we do and how we do it, is because we have the authoritative word of the living God. That's why we do what we do. And it's imperative that we keep the preaching and teaching of the word of God central to everything we do. In fact, our outreach efforts are not to simply inform people that there is a church in Rapid City named Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, although that's good and I hope you're doing that. But our primary effort, our primary message is this, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. How do you know that? Because we have the Holy Spirit. Word of God. And so we want to present the Word of God as it pertains to Christ. Let me explain what I mean. We don't have to go to the lost and give them the Word of God and say, this is how it pertains to homosexuality. This is how it pertains to transgender issues. No, no, no. Listen, they're not ready for that. We have to give them, this is what the Bible says to you about your sin and about how Christ died for you. That's our effort. How does the Word of God pertain to Christ to lost sinners? Then we can talk about growth. The means by which mankind will come to have faith in Christ is through hearing the Word of God. Having the Bible taught and expounded to where a decision must be made. 
Well, can't someone come to a saving faith by simply reading the Bible for themselves? Sure. Thank God for those who can do that. But is that what the lost world's doing? (laughs) I don't know many that are running to the Bible seeking for answers in this day in which we live. The world as a whole won't typically turn to the Bible on their own seeking for answers. And to top it all off, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And without the Holy Spirit, where's the understanding? We need preaching. It guides us in the Scriptures. I think of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip comes alongside his chariot being led of the Holy Spirit. And he hears this man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he asks him, understandest what thou readest? And the Ethiopian eunuch replied, How can I accept some man guide me? We need preaching. Why do we have such an emphasis on preaching? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Is it the only method? No. But it is the primary method God has chosen to save and to build faith. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. We gather to hear preaching because it's by God's design. That's why people can be on vacation and come into a church house during church time because that's what God has designed. So I don't like the way you preach. And find somewhere you like how they preach as long as they're preaching it straight. I won't be offended if you don't like me spitting on you. I've seen a lot of churches are putting a corona shield up. That's true. We could do that, I guess. And then if I walk down, we'll have like a mobile... Preaching is by God's design. Even in the 21st century. With all the technology that's available to us. God still intends for us to gather together. He wants His children to gather together around His Word. The Word of God must be preached, expounded, and then applied. And without this, we'll have weak believers. And this is proven by all the dead churches in America today. Are you listening to me right now? What is their problem? They have no authority of the Word of God. The Word of God to them is not infallible. It's not inerrant. And it's not Holy Ghost inspired. And as a result, they are spiritually dead. Ichabod is written above the doors. The glory has departed. And in churches where there's no absolute authority of the Scriptures, then there's really no reason for you to even come to church. There's nothing to believe in which will bring faith. Therefore, I hope you rejoice that you have a place where the Word of God is preached. And that is taught with authority. 
you have a solid foundation here, and that is the precious Word of God. And I say this not because I think I'm something or any of the men who fill in are something. We're only human. I will make mistakes along the way. I haven't seen Breck make any yet. But listen, don't get mad when the man of God gets up and preaches, Thus saith the Lord. This is why I have felt led primarily to expound the Scriptures on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. We are going verse by verse. Now, I had no idea it was going to be nearly four years now in John when we started. That's just the way it's worked out. But going verse by verse, that we can get all that is being said. We're expounding the Word of God. And this will prevent the preacher from getting on his hobby horses on my soapbox, chewing somebody out without mentioning them, right? All right, well, turn your Bibles over to, and then you start ripping somebody from the pulpit. We expound the Word of God. Now, on Sunday nights, I do topical preaching, but even then, we are expounding the Word in that context. If all a church does is ever preach topically, They typically produce weaker Christians because all they get is the pastor's pet doctrine. Not the whole counsel of God's Word. And they can even make the Bible say whatever they want it to say. I don't know how I've been on this kick over the last six months, but I have. And I've been tuning in to liberal churches on YouTube. And it's frightening what's going on in churches in America that a pastor can get up there and not even open the Bible throughout an entire 45-minute message, flash one scripture up on the screen, take it completely out of context and apply it any old way he sees fit. That's a problem. Are you all with me? It's a problem. And what they do is they flash a verse up there and then they go on with their psychobabble. In many churches, it's no longer necessary to even bring a Bible because the Bible isn't even read. And therefore, it is never really expounded. David said in Psalm 40 and verse 9, I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. God told Jonah, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Jesus applied Isaiah's prophecy to him when he read Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. John the Baptist, Jesus, the apostles, they all went forth preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Paul charged Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Paul's desire was that he might preach the gospel in the regions beyond. He said he strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named. 
Paul said to Titus in Titus 1.3 that God hath in due times manifested His Word through preaching. Paul then told Titus in Titus 2.15 these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise you. We need preaching. I've said it before. If somebody asks you what do you have for programs for the various age groups in your church, you tell them we have preaching. Say, what are the teens getting tonight? They're getting preaching. What are the kids getting in Sunday school? They're getting preaching. What do you have for adults? We have preaching. What about the older folks? Guess what? You still need preaching. It's by preaching we place our faith and our trust in Christ alone for salvation. This is how it happened for us. At some point, we heard the truth of the gospel and we had a decision to make. Are we going to receive the message? Are we going to believe it? Or are we going to reject the message that was being preached? Are we going to receive truth? Or will we reject truth? And for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we have been quickened. Which means we have been made alive after being dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 goes on to say, For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So are you saved tonight? Are you saved? Do you rest only in the finished work of Christ for your salvation? It's a free gift. It's a free gift. It's nothing you can earn. You don't work your way to salvation. You can't be baptized to salvation. And you can join every church you want. It will not save you. But you place your faith and your trust in Christ's blood. In His death, His burial, His resurrection. And that He ascended and is now at the right hand of the Father. But listen today. It is also by preaching that our faith increases after salvation. It's not just a means of seeing people come to Christ. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And to have an effective shield of faith, we must have effective preaching. Now, you can have the best preacher that's ever lived, and if you are not willing to receive it, it does nothing for you. You have to be willing to take it in and receive it. The fact that we need preaching to grow our faith after salvation, this is evidenced by the number of dropouts who feel Sunday mornings are all they need. I'm telling you that the strongest Christians, the strongest Christians are those who make the effort to be under preaching every time we gather together. This is why during our announcement slides, I call them our propaganda slides, you will read this. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's taken from Ecclesiastes 4.12. And then you'll read, be here for all three services. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Why? Because you need preaching. Be here when you are able. So that's where faith comes from. Once you have that saving faith in Christ, we are to walk by faith. 
We are to live this life below by faith. Habakkuk 2.4 says, but the just shall live by his faith. That's Old Testament. The just shall live by his faith. Romans 1.16 and 17 says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, written, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11 says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. By faith. We are to live by faith. This is our shield. I can tell we're going to have to wait till next week to really dig into. But are you living by faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then in Romans 8.24 and 25, it says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Our life is a life of faith. As I've been covering in our Sunday night series, entitled our theme this year, Believe to See, we do not see and then believe. But we are to believe by faith, then we see. We are called to believe by faith that which we cannot see. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Faith, listen now, faith is the assurance of God. But it's so much more because it encompasses all of who God is. Faith is the assurance of God, all who He is, all of that which God has richly bestowed upon us in Christ, all of the promises which are now ours, all of the spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, all that we covered in Ephesians chapter 1, and all that's in the Bible for that matter, we are to live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Our physical eyes can deceive us. Especially on the the battlefield. Are you with me tonight? The children of Israel got to the edge of the promised land. And they sent 12 spies in. And they all saw how good the land was. They all saw the fruits of the land. They could tell it was a land blessed by God. But ten came back and they saw with their physical sight and they said, we dare not enter in. They saw the giants and they said, we can't take the land. They were seeing by natural sight. But aren't you glad there were two men? Caleb and Joshua came back and they were seeing things by faith. They said, our God is able to deliver us. Let's go in and take the land. Well, they wanted to take up stones and stone them. Then you fast forward to the day that the Philistine army's on the other side of the valley and they're standing off against the army of Israel. And for 40 days, the giant Goliath comes out and he taunts Israel. They were seeing, Israel was seeing with their natural sight. 
They were not seeing by faith. But finally, a teenage boy named David shows up. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? His brothers rebuked him. David rebuked them back and said, Is there not a cause? And he went out on the battlefield by faith. You reckon it was God steering that stone? I have no doubt he was a good shot, but come on. And then we get to the New Testament and we find Jesus being pressed by a multitude. And Jesus tells his disciples, would you get in the boat? Let's, we're going to the other side. They get in the boat, they head to the other side. Jesus goes down below to take a nap. My kind of guy, amen. It's because the ministry is exhausting. And he goes below and he takes a nap and the storm begins to howl. And the disciples are fearful for their lives. And they go to Jesus and they say, Lord, save us. Lord, we're going to die. What were they doing? They were looking at the storm through physical sight. But we walk by faith, not by sight. And Jesus gets up and he rebukes the winds and the waves and everything goes calm. And he says, Why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? You see, our natural sight is going to deceive us. It will cause us to be afraid when the enemy's on the other side. It'll cause us to be afraid when the storms of life howl around us. But we have to walk by faith. I can't tell you I know what that looks like in every circumstance. I can only give you stories from my life. But we need to walk by faith. And I would close with this. I don't know if anybody's terrified from COVID-19. When Jesus told the disciples, get in the boat, we're going to the other side, they were getting to the other side. Jesus commanded it. It was His will. And listen, my friends, I don't know if God's going to take you to the other side through a virus. But one way or the other, you're going to the other side. Unless you're raptured out of here, you will die by some means. Don't be afraid. Walk by faith. It's your shield. Well, will that protect me from getting sick? No. I'm encouraging you to still be prudent. Wash your hands. Wear a mask when necessary. But walk by faith. If you will walk by faith, if you will walk by faith, you will not jeopardize your landing on the other side. Is everybody with me on that? Jesus said, look, we're going to the other side. And if you'll just walk by faith, I don't know how that's going to be. Some people went to the stake. They were burned. Paul was beheaded. As far as we know from secular history, all the apostles except for John the Beloved were martyrs. Rumor has it they even tried to kill him and were not successful. So they sent him off to the Isle of Patmos. I don't know what your future is. Some will die from cancer. Some will die from car accidents. Some will hopefully close their eyes and go to sleep and wake up in heaven. 
But one thing's for sure, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And however he chooses to get you there, I just want to encourage you tonight. Keep your faith in God. Let it be a shield. Let it be a shield. And you go forward knowing God is in control of my life. He's in complete control. You can walk through a cemetery and you can find markers on the graves of babies less than a year old. You've already lived a blessed life. Now, I'm personally praying to be like Caleb. I want to be 85 and have the strength to come in and go out. The Lord may say, sorry, I've got other plans. So, sorry to beat that a little longer than I meant to. I just want you to live by faith. Be smart, okay? Be prudent. But don't live in fear. And let's trust God. Let's pray.